You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hi everyone, this is your host, Daniel Lee here. And I wanted to give you some background on the actual podcast. So I really like asking people what they do. And I've had jobs as a public accountant, a management consultant, and lately as a public equities investor. And in getting these roles, I had to speak to a lot of people who were already doing what I wanted to do. And it turned out that what the media and industry stereotypes say about the role is not at all accurate to what you actually do. And it was no, this was not to mention that most assumptions people set about uh, a certain individual's journey into that career field was also wrong. Um, this was because it's never as linear as people think it is. It's never as simple as you do A, then you go to B, and then you will get to do C. It's actually much more complicated than that, and that's what I realized after having spoken to over 80 different people to learn about what they did. And something I found out was that a lot of my friends had not learned this yet. Some eventually would because they have already started reaching out to people to actually learn about what they did but I also knew that many wouldn't because cold calling people really frightened them and that's completely understandable it still scares me too but I also am always extremely curious about what other people do and I love hearing about their stories so I figured maybe I can help them out with this podcast and just document what I would normally be talking about with other people. And so that's what this podcast is about. It's me finding people with career journeys that I find interesting and or they have roles that I would like to learn more about. And so I really do hope that I can add value to you in that sense as I go about selfishly using this podcast to learn more about other people and fulfill my own curiosity. So yeah, there you have it. Today's podcast is with David Axler. David Axler is the head of growth at Wave Financial, a accounting software company. And this was a very fascinating conversation where I learned that Dave wasn't always planning on being a the head of growth at a technology company it we go through his journey from how he wanted to always be a lawyer to a very fateful project that he did in i think it was kenya that changed his whole trajectory got him into a company where he learns about Facebook ads and he's one of the first people to learn about that when it's just starting up in the mid 2000s all the way to being a chief of staff at a technology company and 
now at Wave, and we learn this whole thought process of his journey, and as well as what he actually did in these different roles and how it shaped him into who he is. So yeah, I hope you enjoy it. All right. So today we're joined by David Axler from Wave Financial. David is currently the lead for the growth and business development team at Wave. David, thanks for joining us today. Hey, happy to be here. Right. And so for some of the audience members who may have heard of Wave or this might be the first, this might be their first time with the actual company. How would you describe the company as well as your kind of core products? Sure. So Wave is a software that enables brave entrepreneurs to go into business, mm. essentially. So it's a, a suite of financial products, started with accounting, and we've now moved into invoicing, payments, and payroll. So mm -hmm. the most important things that a small business needs in order to function, what's, what are my books looking like, how am I getting paid, and how do I pay the people that help me do uh, the dream of starting a small business. Mm. So. Toronto-based uh, company, grown kind of like crazy uh, over the last few years. Done uh, several rounds of, of financing, mm -hmm. and now uh, essentially the, the the leaders in the in the small business uh, accounting space uh, for really what we offer, which is unparalleled, which is a, a free accounting platform uh, supported by some monetized products like payroll, invoicing, payments, and things like that. So it's been it's been uh, quite quite a ride, and, and really rewarding to see small business owners who are taking the first jump into entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. being able to do something in a way that they would have ordinarily not been able to do in the past because it was either too expensive or too hard to get started. Wave is, is really making that happen. So it's, it's very cool to be a part of that journey. Mm -hmm. yeah, and speaking of journey, you've, uh, we'll touch upon this further in, but you've definitely had, I'd say, a very long and winding career journey of yourself. But to start from the beginnings, um, how would you describe your childhood growing up? Uh, my childhood was was, was great. Yeah. Um, grew up here in uh, Toronto. Okay. And uh, come from a family where asking questions is really important. Mm -hmm. So very curious type of kid. Mm -hmm. And I think it stems from um, my grandfather. We used to have um, Friday night dinner with him, pretty much as a weekly weekly routine. And he'd go around and ask all the grandkids the same the same thing which is did you ask any good questions this week oh wow and so it wasn't how'd you do on your test or how's you know hockey going uh -huh. it was all about what what are you curious about uh -huh. and did you ask it in a particular way and so grew up as this really inquisitive um questioning everything type of type of kid mm -hmm. uh and i think that, that stems a lot from you know growing up with a with parents and a, and a grandfather who was really, he, he asked you to go go that level deeper, uh -huh. ha have an opinion, ask yeah. a lot of questions. So, grew up here, grew up in Canada, which I think is a, a phenomenal place to grow up. It gives you a global, a global perspective, kind of by nature, because you're mm -hmm. growing up with all sorts of different, interesting people. So, developed a pretty insatiable uh, desire for travel and learning about the world. Very, um, you know politics and world issues were super important in my house and, and still are to, to me to this day. So had a had a really lucky uh, upbringing to be able to, to grow up here in Toronto. Mm. And as, as that uh, a very curious and exploring child, um, what, uh, what kind of dream career did you have when you were a really young child? So for 
I mean, I don't know when it started, but for a while, um, my interest was going to be uh, international law. Oh, um, really? Because of that politics and world issues, it was something that uh, I gravitated towards in, in high school and, uh -huh. and university. So I did a, a, a double degree in politics and, and economics, mm. um, got into law school, um, but had made the decision that I have never actually worked internationally, mm -hmm. but I have this dream of being an international lawyer. I should probably do something before, uh, before that. So rather than go to law school straight from university, um, took a job working in Nairobi, uh, mm. Kenya for an NGO uh, called Free the Children. Right, right. So this is back, Free the Children, pretty well-known NGO that's got, I think, you know, thousand employees working for them. At the time, I believe they had about 40. So really early mm. days, and I was their first on the ground uh, person uh, outside of the, the actual director there. And while I was in Kenya, a really interesting thing happened. Um, not a great thing, but an interesting one, which is the elections of uh, 2007 mm. were uh, really um, problematic in the country. Uh, mm. In fact, both presidential candidates claimed victory. Uh, oh, and the, okay. they, the, the radios shut down, the banks were shutting down, and basically anything I was working on shut down overnight. Wow. And a really peculiar thing happened, which is I thought this is where international lawmakers snap into action and start yeah. to bring the country back yeah. from the brink. And it was, it was pretty dangerous uh, times, riots, and, and, and it was bad. And they didn't. There was almost nothing from lawmakers. Mm -hmm. what, what happened was the phone companies um, had just developed a technology called M-Pesa, which okay. was the first time where I could transfer you uh, my phone credit. So if you had credit on your phone, you could transfer it to me, I could mm. transfer it to you. And for Kenya, you had a, a large majority of, or a large percentage of the country that was unbanked. They had no bank account. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this was allowing them to actually retain uh, some money through phone credit and being able to, to transfer to each other. And when the whole government started shutting down and banks were not available and things like that, being able to transfer um, this digital currency, again, this is you know 11 years ago, yeah. was what was keeping this country afloat in, in my eyes. And I had this huge epiphany that I'm not, I don't actually want to do law. Like if this is when um, the rubber hits the road and people are coming up with really interesting uh, ideas, I want to be those guys. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be uh, the, the, the lawyer. And I had thought about being a lawyer for, for quite some time. Really? Um, got on a payphone in Nairobi, called my parents and saying, I'm, I'm not going to law school next year. Pretty terrifying for them. Yeah. Um, and I said, I, I, I really know that eventually I'm going to be in, in technology mm. and being empowering and enabling people. And I had no technology background, mm -hmm. um, but I could see the application of what it could do for society and as a kind of bright-eyed, bushy-tailed 23-year-old, um, 24-year-old, uh, you know, it really struck me that there's an opportunity to, to do something bigger. Uh, so came back to Toronto and started a kind of long journey that eventually ended up uh, um, here. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, that's so cool. That's so fascinating. And I think, you know, I could never, never pull that out from your LinkedIn profile at all. And, um, if I so I did pull out your LinkedIn profile, and if we look at it, it says you know you started out in you know, University of Western Ontario, you went to feed the children, then you joined uh, Chorus Entertainment, then you did your MBA at University of Toronto, and then Deloitte Consulting, 
then Influitive, and now at Wave. And so someone it looked like, oh, okay, he did some unique traveling, did some international relation, and um, did kind of a business path into technology. But to hear this underlying story, I think it's extremely, like personally, it's very really fascinating. And so in, in that period, you're in Nairobi, you, you see this chaos, and what, what other kind of factors were you like, kind of putting into your decision-making when you called your parents and said, you know, oh, I'm not going to do law school. Like, I'm sure, they were extremely surprised, but I'm sure that you also had kind of fears and doubts within yourself too when you were making that, dis- making that call. Yeah, I, I, I did. And I don't think it was a decision that I came to overnight. It was not like all of a sudden this right. was happening. But um, I had, uh, back, when, back in the olden days, back in my day, uh, university was, or sorry, high school was five years. Uh, there's okay. something called OAC in, in Canada uh, in, in Ontario. I actually fast-tracked. So I went through high school in four years. I was okay. in university with um, many of the kids my age were actually a year older. Mm. And I had this feeling like I I'm, I'm felt like I was really rushing things, mm. um, going straight into uh, my graduate degree. Um, so I, I knew that the reason I was taking some time mm. was that I had questions to answer about myself. Um, what are the things that are going to get me excited for years and decades to come? And mm-hmm. what, what are the type of problems I want to work on? Who are the type of people I want to work with and work for? And having that time to allow myself to learn, to question was, was amazing. Because up until that point, I felt like, you know, you go to school, you're supposed to get good grades. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to do that. And then all of a sudden, you get to a point in your life, which is both liberating and really scary which is mm-hmm. there's no playbook all right like you graduate and here you go and it was uh, you know a period of time where i, I kind of just asked some really important questions myself talked to a lot of people and for me i, I knew that i had a um, a big creative uh, part of myself that needed to be fed mm-hmm. that i really feared was not going to be uh, able to be fed through the, through the legal profession though i know some lawyers that really love that what they do it wasn't for the reasons that I knew that I was going to love, and, and interestingly, when I was at Deloitte, uh, one of my projects uh, as as a senior consultant was being put on a um, organizational effectiveness project for a law firm. So, oh. so I now actually got to be in a law firm for six months every day. Yeah. And the goal for us was to find out how they could become more operationally efficient. Right. And I basically got to see what my life would have been had I gone another way, which is very unique. Uh, not many people get to see yeah. if they zig, what would have happened if they zagged. And though I think I actually would have been you know, quite a good lawyer in terms of the ways that I think, the type of fulfillment that I get today, I don't believe I would have got as, as, a, as a lawyer. And uh, I, it was just amazing kind of ghost of Christmas past type thing of like, this is your life, but, yeah. but, but I got to be on the, on the sidelines there. So. Um, it wasn't an overnight decision that I made, but but a lot of introspection and, and talking to folks and being okay with the fact that you're not totally supposed no you're not supposed to know what it is you're gonna do mm-hmm. at 23 or even 26 and mm-hmm. you know I'm now in my 30s and I'm constantly taking on new things and what I'm gonna be doing in two five ten years from now is not totally clear and that's actually very exciting not mm-hmm. uh, not crippling with fear right. And when, when you were um, doing that project with the law firm, uh, do you remember like specific instances where you saw something and you thought, why oh, this would have not jabbed with me. Um, I'm pretty happy that I didn't make this decision. I think it's less that 
it wouldn't jive with me. Right. It's just that I knew that I would have taken on um, the type of, of person and type of work I would have taken on would have would have probably not have been the healthiest thing for me. Like I know I would have been in there grinding away at, at right. 11 p.m., redlining a document because it's just the right thing to be done. You know, I'm, I'm, right come from a from a long line of folks that just do the work get through it and, and really gritty um and it's all about the billable hour and, mm-hmm. and and it's kind of the time that you put in is a value of itself mm-hmm. and um i think actually the worry is that it would have jived um too well with me mm. and i i would have been just really in it right whereas i think tech it really appeals to a, a lateral thinker mm. And the answer to, to A is not necessarily B. There are a number of ways that you can take it. And right. that to me is really one of the most amazing things about working in this, in this industry. For someone like me where um, I, I really have a, have a high degree of openness and, and look for different types of solutions to, to, to problems. So um, I think law would have jived really well. Tech just jives better with the person that, that I want to be in and the life that I want to live. Mm-hmm. And I think um, in our previous conversation, you you gave some very good advice. And one of the advice you gave me that I still think was really valuable, if you would also mind sharing, was um, the idea of having a mental model of you know knowing what kind of company you want to work for and having that mental model evolve with you constantly. And so did you develop that kind of mental model when you were back in your MBA and did you constantly? And how did that kind of constantly evolve as you went through your career? Yeah, it's definitely evolved. And different times throughout my career, I've had uh, a goal in mind. Right. Um, Not necessarily you need to get paid this much or you need to work for this specific company. But in order to to do the thing that you want, there's there's an area that that you want to focus on. And, And when I came back from... Kenya, I knew that I needed to get closer to technology in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the opportunity for me was to go to Chorus Entertainment. Mm-hmm. It was uh, mid-2000s, social media is just getting started, and it was an opportunity for me to bring a skill set that many of the people that were already in the industry couldn't do. So I took a, a job doing cross-platform marketing, mm. which at the time used to just be, are you on radio or are you on television? Oh. And now it's are you on radio? Are you on television? Are you on the are you on the internet? And if you're on the internet, is this Facebook thing even relevant? Right. Twitter had just started, yeah. so I was actually getting a front row seat to a whole market that was was being opened up, and yeah. no one who was in the industry had any more expertise than me. Right. So it was a great opportunity to get close to um, tech and media. In a way that I was going to get uh, to do a, a lot of interesting stuff, but I knew that I wanted to be focused on kind of higher order business problems. I, I didn't actually want to be as tactical as I was being at that time. Mm-hmm. So my goal was to how do I get that? Um, uh, when did my MBA? And I knew that I needed to not just study business, but mm-hmm. I almost needed a finishing school. Mm-hmm. And the best way that I saw at the time was, was going into strategy consulting. Mm-hmm. So I was lucky enough to get uh, offers from a couple of firms. Deloitte was uh, the one that I chose and zero regrets. That was a fantastic place to learn. I'm still on, on the alumni advisory board at, at Deloitte and taught me a ton mm-hmm. about how to break down a problem, professionalism, mm-hmm. um, being able to stretch yourself more than you probably thought that you could have. And that was part of my goal at that time. Like I needed 
someone that was going to both throw me into experiences that I, I had not seen before, push me to a degree of um, work and thinking and professionalism that I hadn't received in my career. But I, I knew fairly early on that I wanted to jump into tech and my goal was to find a company where my skill set would be applicable to what they were doing. And I had a meeting with a mentor, mentorship is super important, who talked to me about this mental model. Mm. And he helped me understand that there are so many different types of companies and you're going to have this cognitive load about all the different types of decisions that you're going to make. And it's going to be hard to do the decision calculus in your mind is what what's truly going to make sense. Right. And so it was questions for me about the, my risk profile. How risky of a, of a company am, am I willing to take? Um, the What do I... What do I want to learn from the people that I'm working with? Do I want to work with a seasoned founder or am I okay doing this with someone who's never done it before? Mm. What about the industry that I'm in? And so for this, it, it led me to answer the questions that this is my first real jump into tech. And if I want to be on the executive team, I want to find a place that has a really seasoned CEO. It's not mm-hmm. the first rodeo. My risk profile, I just gotten, gotten married. I was going to have a kid uh, fairly soon. So I wanted it to be late enough stage that they actually had some funding behind it, mm. but not so late that the story had already been written and it was just right. the road to IPO. Um, and Influitive was the absolute perfect place for me. They, they, hired, they were hiring for a chief of staff, lead strategy, people ops, essentially be CEO number two. Mm-hmm. But the CEO, Mark Organ, and we're still very, uh, very close, had founded another company before, Eloqua. It's one of the great tech stories of, of Canada. Mm. Um, acquired by uh, Oracle and uh, gone public. Really amazing story. So it, it started to check the box for me to really engage with, with that process. And my mental model was, was satisfied at, at, at that time. So it develops over time. You gotta kind of check it and regulate it. But for me, being able to have something to peg it to was super key in, in making some of my decisions. Mm-hmm. And in finding that finding that opportunity, how uh, how patient did you have to be in constantly? You know, I'm sure that just kind of didn't fall in your lap. I'm sure there were other thing, other companies that you had were also meeting with and also kind of evaluating. And I think a lot of times, at least among my friends and sometimes for myself too, when something shiny comes along, the instant thought is, oh, they want me. I think maybe I'll take take that. And you know, they don't meet. You know two of the five qualifications I have, but you know, that's good enough. Um, well, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of put the question back to you. Mm-hmm. I know you're, you're an investor, it's a passion of yours. Right, yeah. How patient are you with an investment? Oh, you have to be very patient. Well, what's, what's a bigger investment than where you're going to go every single day, mm-hmm. it's gonna be on your resume forever, it's going to build the skills for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. and potentially have, you know, it could be that there's Retirement savings is part of it. it. Could be that there's stock options. It has the ability to change your life in a way that no other investment can. Not necessarily because it sounds great, but in no other no other way. So the fact that we would jump at a job mm-hmm. faster than we would an investment seems crazy. Mm-hmm, yeah. But but we look at the job boards. We looked at LinkedIn. We see our friends have just started a new job, and you start to feel like this pressure. Yeah, yeah. That, oh my God! Like this person's doing this, and this person's doing that. And the moment that you can forget about it, and it's, mm-hmm. t- it's tough to do, that yeah. doesn't matter what my college roommate is doing, or my younger brother, or my sister, that doesn't matter. Like, mm-hmm. they don't have to live your life. And if, you are, if you're that careful with a financial investment, you should be doubly as careful with, a, with what you're doing with, with a career. And it doesn't mean 
not to take risks. In fact, if my career is based on anything, it's it's all been about taking risks. Mm-hmm. But be deliberate about mm-hmm. the fact that you're you're taking a risk yeah. and put yourself out there. And you don't need to jump at the first thing. And that's where having a mental model is really empowering mm-hmm. um, because you know if it lines up to the things that you're actually looking for. But if if folks are feeling that they need to jump at something, I just need that job. I need to I need to go do it. Um, I know that it's, it's a bit of a privilege to be to be able to be patient, but ask yourself, what do I need to do to allow myself to have the time? Do I need a side job? Do I need to cut down on some of the things that I'm doing? Trust me, did not live uh, very glamorously when I come back from Kenya and I take a job at a at a at a media company, like mom's mom's basement. Not <laughs> not exactly the best place, but it gave me a lot of um, flexibility in, in terms of what I want to do. So. Mm-hmm. Don't jump, don't jump at that big, shiny new thing. Give yourself the time to really scrutinize it like it's an investment. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I think that's uh, great advice. And in terms of your chief of staff role, um, I think if the listeners are not familiar, there's a great article written by First Round Capital where they portray your role as a chief of staff as well as your predecessor as well as the chief of staff that, that succeeded you. And even in my conversation with the other chief of staffs, um, because you are the CEO number two, there is that more of a generalist feel where you're putting your hands in everything and you're involved in everything. Um, and so while you're going through that, the general, it seems the path is that you do that for about two years and then you either find a home in one of the departments within the organization or you move somewhere else. And so for you, how did you go about making that kind of decision of you decide, you're deciding, oh, I think I want to focus on the growth, business development mm-hmm. part, and even deciding to leave Influitive and not be part of an existing department there, but going into a different company altogether. Yeah, for me, the area of growth, some of the things that I was doing at Deloitte, very much go-to-market focused and things that just excited me. That's the way that, that Influitive does its tour of duty, so to speak, with, with chief of staff. It's a two-year role, and then the idea is you either take on a existing department, mm-hmm. uh, you stand up a new department, or um, or you would leave, I guess, would be the, the other option. So I took, uh, start a new department. Uh, mm. So I led all expansion at, uh, uh, market expansion at Influitive. Super interesting, super mm. compelling. Uh, as I was getting into it, I was realizing it was not the type of growth that I had envisioned. For me, mm. I'm much more of the, for those listening, the Andrew Chen, Casey Winters, Brian Balfour type growth, where it's really about um, understanding how users find, move through, and get value in your product, building out the, the growth model around that and a little bit closer to product, whereas expansion and Fluidive was really more about um, vertical expansion. Uh-huh. So super, super exciting, a great experience. And one of the verticals we were leading was um, higher ed. And I actually just spoke to Mark the other day, signed a big uh, higher ed deal that I had worked on early on my days there. So really thrilled to see that some uh, success of the early work that I did in that role, but had a very real conversation um, with the Influitive team. So we had a a long transition time. It wasn't Mm. like, here's my two weeks. And the opportunity to lead uh, growth in, in BD at Wave was one that was exactly in the wheelhouse of the type of, of growth that I want to do, closer to product, um, but also an element of kind of big picture strategic thinking. Because for me, I, I'd see myself being a, a GM or, or, or CEO of a company in the in the next five, 10 years-ish. Mm-hmm. And this was an area that I really wanted to 
um, get that that front frontline experience that I just didn't didn't have yet. So it was mm. long process, nothing but real positive experience been fluidive. It's an amazing place to work. I recommend people check it out all the time. Um, but this was just for what I wanted to do, kind of back to that mental model. Right. It just it aligned perfectly with with what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And from your experience, do you feel that um, the alignment was there because of the stage that Wave was at, or was it also the kind of business model that they had? No, it was more business model. Mm. It's more business model. So Wave is more B to very small B, almost right. acts like B to C. Right. Yeah. Whereas Influitive is more mid market, but the type of work. Uh, for those who don't know what Influitive is, it's an advocate marketing platform. So mm-hmm. it's a way to build a community of your biggest customer fans and treat them fantastic, but at scale in a way that they can start to do things like provide referrals and reference and provide customer advisory boards and super, super interesting, but it more of an enterprise model. So direct, direct sales, inside sales, um, more account-based marketing. The type of growth that I wanted to do, it just was not, it, it wouldn't align with the model where Influitive was at that time. I mm. think there's, there'll be a day where, where growth will be uh, super important uh, for Influitive. And it's a very fast growing company. They just grow through uh, other means mm-hmm. and super strong marketing and, and product group uh, there. There wouldn't have been a need for a, a separate growth, uh, growth group there. Right, right. And so you also mentioned about how in your career you've constantly been taking a lot of risks, obviously, that aligned with your kind of strategic view. Um, and so from that journey, what would you say uh, sticks out as a huge obstacle that you had to overcome and you still remember it as, oh yeah, that one was a big one? Yeah, so probably the the obstacle um, for me would, would be around being a non-technical person. Huh coming to work in tech right. and started a chorus, definitely saw it in Foodive and I see it uh, here all the time. And you start to ask yourself, okay, if, I'm, if, I, if I can't write code and I'm not selling code, right. what, what do I do here? Yeah. And what it forced me to do was A, become um, really good with data mm-hmm. so I can help understand the story that's going on. So if you're not technical but you want to be in tech, I would very much uh, uh, say uh, data literacy and data visualization and being able to tell a story, super critical. The second is with chief of staff, uh, you have a ton of influence, mm-hmm. but no real authority. You're not mm-hmm. actually the CEO, right. but you have almost the exact same accountabilities that a CEO does. When things aren't working, they look at you. When mm-hmm. the board wants to call and get someone on the phone, they're talking to you. Mm-hmm. When you get a PR request or, or the press wants to go in, they talk to you. When there's a, a major event happening, a lot of it falls on your shoulder. So needing to learn how to exert influence without authority was a huge, huge obstacle. And you learn a lot about reciprocity mm. and about listening and about finding out how, what you can do, what you can bring to the table to help people. And I remember one of my favorite people uh, I've ever come to work with, um, VP of marketing, uh, actually now at, at Blue Cat, who was at uh, Jim Williams at Influitive. And I think it was day two, I started having interviews with all the executive team. And I said, Jim, you know, it's really nice to meet you. And he just looked at me and goes, what, so you're the chief of staff? Yeah. And I said, yeah, he goes, well, I'm here to work with the CEO. If I wanted to work with the chief of staff, I could have joined the military. 
Um, what, <laughs> what exactly do you do here? Yeah. And I thought he was doing it to be a bit of a bully, and, but it was actually an amazing thing that he did. And he was, being, he was doing it honestly from a point of, this is a role, like any role, that you're going to define how it is, the way, yeah. the way your peers perceive you. Um, we all have the job titles that we have, but how are you going to make it unique? How are you going to help me as your peer? Why am I going to come to you? How are you going to come to me? And I think from that day and going forward, I've, I've always asked, how do I bring my best self to this role? How do I make, how do I become a force multiplier for the people on my team and, and, and bring them up? So it's an obstacle that I don't think is unique to me. The idea that you need to get something done where you have a lot of influence, but you don't have the authority necessarily to just say, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that, tell me when it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I'm actually really lucky that I've had those obstacles early in my career. I think it's made me a, a much better leader um, going forward. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a, a fascinating story. And when you talked about how um, becoming very data literate to overcome the obstacle, um, if we touch upon your strengths um, that you use, leverage to continuously succeed in what you do, um, what do you think is a unique strength that you have that you feel you can be better than almost anyone at? So I don't know that I'm better than anyone. I just think I have a unique, um, unique communication style that mm. has developed from both my work living in Kenya mm. um, my work as a management consultant, and even before that, my summers in high school, I used to lead canoe trips down the wilderness, and I used to lead people in, in these really tough, um, tough environments. And what I learned about myself is I'm able to bridge the understanding gap uh, for a lot of people coming from very different perspectives with very ambiguous opportunity and information you need it as a management consultant. The mm. job as a management consultant is to fly usually to a different city, sometimes a different country, meet a business for the first time who's already agreed to pay your firm money because your firm basically sells smart people and a smart person is gonna come and save the day. And you now need to go tell often the CEO or a vice president who has 30 years of experience what they're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And if your communication skills aren't a 10, it's gonna go very wrong early and often. So I learned a lot about how to ask great questions, how to truly parse out the important information, how to use first principles. And I've been able to bring that into growth and, and growth is often campaigning with different groups in the organization to help see a problem that is so worthwhile that they may not have seen before and, and get them on board to do that behind either a, a North Star metric or a concept of, of what can be done. So being able to communicate clearly, calmly, amid what could be chaos and incomplete information, I think not even by design, just the crazy different things that I've, I've chosen as hobbies or in a career, to, to bring that level of clarity um, is something that I would say is, is one of my one of my superpowers that, that I've been able to, to work on, always trying to work on better, helps that uh, I'm married to a, a therapist. So <laughs> if I ever really need to understand what's going on, she can help play it back to me. Oh, perfect. And then I'm a, I'm a dad too. So there's no better training of how to communicate with someone than a, a two-year-old who's trying to figure out the world around you so yeah it's a it's a skill that that serves me well outside of just the the boardroom table okay no excellent uh, i think 
ties really well with even the beginning point when you said uh, you started with learning to ask good questions when that's, you were young. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe that's right. Maybe that's it. It's just asking great questions. I think a great question is the most powerful thing yeah. in the world. It can help you understand someone in a different way. It can help you look at a problem in a way that you weren't looking at it before that might actually unlock the thing that, that you're supposed to be talking about. And it also makes people feel great. Mm-hmm. When you can ask a, a, a great question and allows them to kind of spell it. It's not dissimilar to what's happening right now. You're asking me these questions. I haven't thought about them in a, in a long time. And you get really excited to, mm-hmm. to talk about it. So powerful question. Super, uh, super important. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, this is a great way for me to practice that art. Um, and in terms of we were talking about a bit into your life as a growth lead here. And if you were to kind of give me an, an overview of what you actually do, um, if you were to actually segmentize your time investment in a week or a month um, into the various activities you would do, how would you allocate like, the percentage of time into different activities? Yeah, so my, my goal is to identify the, the different levers yeah. that will allow our business to grow in a way that's that's most optimal for us. So kind of I'll decouple and break down that, that sentence. So most optimal for us. It starts with identifying what actually is the that one metric or growth star that matters to your business. There's there are no shortage of ways that you can grow. You can grow your number of users, you can grow your revenue, you can grow the number of free trials you have, you can grow the conversion of that. Mm-hmm. But so what? Like right. ultimately you need to have a, a defined plan. So growth actually begins with um, getting a, the organization aligned to the, the metric or North Star that you're trying to grow. Then it's really about building out the model. So what's gonna get us there? There are inputs to that growth. Mm. So there's a lot of data modeling and experimentation that takes place with that and on a, on a given week I'd say there's a, there's a good chunk of my time that's done um, running experiments mm. uh, analyzing data developing strategy and much of that is working with product and engineering so it could be what would make our users actually convert from free trial to paid 5% more what would we have to change would it, would it change if we actually had more social proof on a, on a particular page? What if we removed a step mm-hmm. and really iterating and, and, and testing that? So there's a lot of experiments. So working with my developers and my product manager, working with my marketers around what's the messaging that we're gonna make uh, go out to market? What are the things that are gonna add to virality? Um, so cross-functional collaboration, huge part of the week. Experimentation, big part of the week going through metrics and data and what does it say and helping others doing, doing knowledge translation. So it's not just me and my little world that's looking at, at the data, but actually bringing others on side like, like the CEO and, and, and others. Um, and then there's a lot of just time spent with your users. Uh, mm. When you're in growth, you want to understand not only what they're doing, but who they are. So being on the phone and doing a, um, different groups to understand the psychology. With growth, it really comes down to user psych. Mm-hmm. What, what, how do your customers think? How do your users think um, mm. so that they're gonna stay and, and, and grow? So uh, there's a good chunk of just getting close to your customers as well. So, so it's really, uh, it's a really fascinating discipline to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, uh, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there's also the element of 
as even maintaining or even increasing customer captivity as part of your role as well. So there's no growth without uh, without maintaining uh, your current your current customers. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. So if you've got a bucket and folks are just leaking out of it, there's no growth without retention. Mm-hmm. So I'm as focused on retention mm-hmm. as I am at putting new users in the top of the funnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we will not we will not get anywhere if uh, if we don't increase retention so it's definitely a, a major area of focus mm. and it sounds like you you're constantly juggling you know talking with customers and all these different experiments cross-functionally with different teams so what kind of system do you have in place for yourself to constantly be effective as a lead so I'd say there's two there's two areas that I look at the first yeah. is my growth model I, I talked about it earlier that uh, I needed to build something that would allow me to make different trade-offs like what's going to get me to that one metric, like let's use an example of its monthly active users. Right. I have all these different initiatives that can help move the dial there, mm. but some, they're not created equal. Some mm. will move greater than either. If I have a referral program versus if I start my own podcast mm-hmm. versus if I create an affiliate program, those are, there's different costs for my time and there's mm-hmm. different impacts on that number. But if I've got a really sound understanding of what it is I'm going after, my, my model can actually help me make the determination of where I should be spending my time on a macro basis. Right. That, those are the big things. On the little things, that's where I'm more of a kind of tool junkie. So I've got a lot of different things that help keep me absolutely in line. So Wonderlist is mm. super key for me. Mm-hmm. I'm checking the, every time I hear that ding, it like, it's like dopamine for me. Like <laughs> finally cross something off uh, my, my list. Um, kind of schedule everything mm. in, in Google Cal. Everything is synced up uh, for me. With my with my team, I run um, kind of a management process whereby every every week we're kind of meeting on the on the tactical. Every month we're reviewing our key performance indicators, mm-hmm. and on a quarterly basis we're really revisiting the initiatives that we have all together. Mm-hmm. So that's what helps keep my my team um, leveled. I kind of regulate with my model, regulate with all my different tools. Just I'm, I'm a bit of a slave to technology now, <laughs> so that's what that's what's keeping me going. And then all that goes to hell when you've got a, a two and a half year old. So really, you can have the best plan that you want, but if there's something going on with him, uh, usually he's the one that dictates what's going on with my day. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really cool. And I think even if you are, if you find yourself being a slave to that technology, then you can, I guess, get feedback from that. Say, okay, how can I make my customers kind of re- really rely on my product that exact same way? Yeah, you gotta, you gotta drink your own champagne. So yeah, yeah, like exactly. Going, going through testing your own stuff, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And as uh, as we get close to the end of this interview, um, the kind of quest- final questions I like to ask every uh, guest is, um, if your twenty year old self were to look at you now, so. The David of, I guess, third year back in Western Ontario, and he saw what you've done and where you're at. What do you think the emotional reaction would be? I think he'd be pretty excited yeah. for what's about to come. Um, and I actually would give him the advice at the time that it's going to be great. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, I know the pressure that we all put on ourselves um, to be successful right away and follow the path that you're supposed to go down. And actually one of the most liberating things is in your 20s that you've got allegiance to nothing. You mm-hmm. can 
follow different risks. You can take different paths. You don't have to do the conventional thing. And I'd say that you're about to go through the next decade where you're going to work really hard. You're going to meet and work with and for incredible people. And you're going to say what you're going to do and then you're going to do what you're going to say and you're going to keep your word all the time. And those things are going to take you to amazing places. Mm -hmm. if, you can, if you can commit to working really hard, being honest, dependable, and surround yourself and identify great people to work for, that's a 100% winning proposition. It, it can't go wrong. Um, so I tell them, buckle up. It's, it's about to get crazy. Oh, great. Oh, great advice. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on this interview. And I think our audience really appreciate your story as well. Great. Well, they should check out Wave Financial if they're budding entrepreneurs themselves and yeah. so make their lives a lot easier. And uh, can find me on, on Twitter at Real, Realax. Um, and it's great to, great to be here. All right, great. Thanks a lot, Dave. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please check out other episodes and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date for the future episodes. Also, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, whichever is applicable to you. To see past episodes, you can go to oldmandan.com slash podcasts. Also, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter on my blog, oldmandan.com slash newsletter. You can stay up to date with future podcast episodes that way. And included in the newsletter are my book reviews I write, my weekly article in the related to the domain of self-development systems, as well as seven things I learned throughout the week on being healthy, wealthy, and wise. Finally, special thanks to icons8.com for allowing me to use their music, Tiny People, on the podcast. Great. I will see you all next time. Take care.